The 88th Psalm. Lord God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry. For I have enough troubles and my life is near Sheol. I am counted among those who are going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I am like the slain lying in the grave whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit. In the darkest place, in the depths, your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have distanced me from my friends. You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and I cannot go out. My eyes are worn from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long and I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up and praise you? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I called you for help, Lord, in the morning. My prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth I have been suffering and near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close me in on every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Now darkness is my only friend. And that's the word of the Lord for us together today. I should tell you, I've known grief and darkness and trouble and suffering in my life, but not as much as many of you and not as much as many others. And so when I preach this psalm, uh, someone who's influenced me specifically is uh, Tim Keller, a retired pastor in New York who's seen it all the more, this suffering, who's watched his wife go through cancer and who's written profoundly about understanding the grace of God in difficult times. There are plenty of other Christians we could point to who have taught this to us. Elizabeth Elliot, Joni Erickson Tata, who teach us about the grace of God through difficult times. But I'm specifically dependent on today, uh, Tim Keller and what he's taught me, as he's taught me from this passage and many others. The first thing that we need to understand about this passage is God put it here on purpose. This isn't an accidental passage. This isn't a, oops, how did that one get in there? This is here for us. There's certain passages from the scripture that we might be embarrassed by and might say, oh, I don't know if we want to talk about that one. That was a little rough. And yet, this is what God has given us. If our conviction is, and mine is, that the Bible is the word of God for us, then God has given this to us on purpose. He wants us to read this, to know it, to understand it. What he wants us to know is there are times... When a Christian feels like this, well, there are times when we feel like we're in the darkness and that's the end of it. There's no light at all. There are times when we are grieved and grieved and grieved. You know, there's a difference between the outer darkness and the inner darkness in our lives. You know, there's always some darkness around us. There's always some difficulty out there. You know, there are hard times, but if you feel the warmth of Christ, you know, if he's close to you, 
If, if, if you still have Christ on the inside and, and all is illuminated and you're feeling good, then it can be really dark out there and things can be very difficult for you and you can go through all kinds of great suffering just knowing, you know what? God's with me. It's okay. I have God. I have the light. He's with me and, and all of it is going to be okay. We have times in our lives like that. But there are also these times in our lives for each of us where we don't, where we feel abandoned, where we feel hurt and suffering on the inside, where we go through these dark nights of the soul, as they're called sometimes, where there's the darkness out there, but we're just barely clinging on to hope inside of our lives too, where the difficulty isn't just out there, but it is in here. I'm, I'm preaching this passage to you today specifically because of how difficult this month has been for me as well as you, and more so for many of you, but I can speak for me. Uh, when I got COVID a few weeks ago, now what, three or four weeks ago before Christmas? When I got it, the symptoms were a little mild. God was gracious. But the emotional weight of it hit like a train. And more so than fatigue and fever that laid me up in bed, the, the weight of having tried to avoid getting something for a whole year and be derailed for a whole year and now be told you have it, the weight of the week beforehand waiting as it took four or five days to get the results back was, was so much heavier and hurt so much more and just weighed so hard that it all from a year's worth of waiting hit like that and it hurt, and it was really difficult on me. And so now I tell each one of our friends or members who's diagnosed with COVID, I say, listen, I don't know about the symptoms for you. Apparently the symptoms can be anything. And, uh, and I have no idea what to tell you about that. Neither am I a medical professional. I can tell you what they were for me, but I do need to warn you, and you should know and be prepared that the emotional difficulty, that the darkness and suffering in that way that came from this hurt worse for me than the actual physical symptoms. And so just be prepared. It's going to be hard. But trust God. Cling on to him. Sleep as much as you can. Rest well. And know that our God will still be good every day of this. He'll still be with you. There are times for each of us, and there have been times for me even recently where I feel like this is the psalm to pray. And this is the one that God gave to pray to let us know that he understands in our weakness there are times when we feel utterly forsaken and we cry out and all we've got is a cry out and at the end of it there's no words to say, but I trust you, there's just a please, why are you doing this? Why is it like this? And while it's not true that we are never forsaken by God, it's not true if you feel forsaken by him that God is always with us. It is not true that darkness has overcome the light. And yet there are times when we feel this way and there are times when we can pray no better than this and God has preceded our prayers with another one to let us know it's all right to cry out to God like this. It's all right to use this as our prayer when we need to, but all the more to let us know how trustworthy he is and how those who endure to the end will be saved. A couple of things you need to know about 
this passage or that you need to know from this passage. And that is, first of all, Christian suffering is real. What's the, what's the best romantic comedy I ever written? It's The Princess Bride, you recall. And there's a great line in The Princess Bride in which uh, one of the characters says to the other, life is pain. Anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. And it's true. I don't think Christianity can be, uh, while there may be some charlatans out there, uh, Christianity is not trying to sell us a bill of goods, our faith, the scripture. The God speaking to us is not trying to tell us, follow me and everything will be rosy all the time. It's telling us that there is suffering. Jesus said to his disciples, you will have suffering in this world. That the disciple is not greater than the master, and if the world hated me, it's going to hate you, and it's going to be difficult. We have given us all of the Psalms, and then even these two Psalms, 39 and 88, where there's just darkness and everything's bleak. So we need to know, first of all, to set our expectations correctly, dear Christian, my friend, dear fellow believer, in this life we will have suffering. We take comfort because Christ has overcome the world. But there will be darkness and difficulties. There will be hard times in this life. There will be suffering for each and every one of us. When I first got into ministry, I was a couple of years out of college, and I was taking some youth to youth camp for the first time, and I was exhausted by all the work that goes into being the one who's leading it for the first time, and the preparation, and making sure all the names get there, and all the forms are done, and okay, that one dropped, but this one wants to come at the last minute, and you know what? We got there to the youth camp. Uh, We made it there, although we hobbled our way in there uh, with some of the logistics and planning. And the speaker for that camp was actually my college mentor, a guy named Brandon Bernard, who's a fantastic college preacher and led a small group Bible study that Meredith and I were in uh, all the time that we were there for four years there in college. And I got to see him again for the first time in a few years and say, Brandon, it's so good to see you. And he asked, how are you doing? And I said, you know what? Now a couple years out of college and in ministry, but without all my friends, without all my brothers who were off pastoring in other parts of the country, I just feel like I'm in the wilderness here. I don't really know what I'm doing. And I feel all alone sometimes. And Brandon said to me, yeah, that's about right. That's not going to go away soon. You're going to be in that for a long, long time now. I just want to tell you the truth. (laughs) And I thought, gee, Brandon, (laughs) thanks. I appreciate the pep talk. (laughs) That's exactly what I was looking for. But he gave me the truth. Listen, he said, in this world, you're going to have suffering. You got to have some sweet time there and there are going to be sweet times in the future as well, but there's going to be difficulties. And sometimes when you get into the wilderness, or as this passage says, when you get into the darkness, it will go on longer than you thought it would. It will go on longer than you wanted it to. It will go on far beyond the point where you thought you could endure it and hold on to it. There will be suffering in this world. There will be difficulties. But another thing that we understand from this passage is suffering is, is never gratuitous. That is to say, there's never just evil for evil's sake or suffering for suffering's sake. But that in all things, in this time and phase of the world, in our lives, in your life, God has purpose and meaning for us. Suffering is never for nothing. Suffering is never gratuitous. But God may not give you the specific answer for why this suffering right now. 
and we are left to trust him, that he knows what is good and right for us, that though others have meant it for evil, though the world is a broken place, though natural disasters and viruses come and go, yet he will use it for good in his timing. It is never gratuitous, but it is real. Take, for example, the man who wrote this psalm for us, Psalm 88. It says right there in the beginning at the title, before verse 1. The title for this is a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, from the choir director, according to Mahalatha, a mascal of Heman, the Ezraite. And we actually know about Heman, the Ezraite, not He-Man, and also not Haman, the uh, evil guy in the story of Ezra who's trying to kill them, but Heman. We know about him in First Chronicles, because in First Chronicles chapter 6, it says that he's a grandson of the prophet Samuel. He's actually a grandson of Samuel. He's one of the Levites. And that King David picks him out specifically with just a few other guys to be the prophets who will write the praises and the songs and the worship songs of God. His career, by God's grace and planning, is that he will write the songs that the people of Israel will sing in knowing and learning about God, in praising God, and even here in 88. When we see again in First Chronicles chapter 25, he continues on to be the chief prophet, the chief seer and singer in the courts of Solomon, the son of David. His career is long and hard, and at some point in his career, some event happens that precipitates his singing this song. We don't know what it is. And you know what? When you're reading the Psalms and you don't know what it is, you can fill in your own life and your own difficulties and what's going on. Just assume he was going through about what you're going through or that this psalm is written for somebody who is going through what you're going through if you're going through difficulties. First of all, suffering is a part of Christianity. But second, it's never gratuitous. Whatever it is that he, uh, Haman, Haman was going through right here, and we don't know what it was, do you think that he knew when he was writing this that there were still going to be people taking comfort from it? 25 to 2,800 years later? Do you think he was thinking at the time that he was writing this that a part of the purpose for the difficulties in his life was that not just Israel should be informed on how to speak to God through these difficulties, but that you and I and a land, a world away, would learn and be comforted by his words? His suffering was not gratuitous, and neither is ours. But there is purpose in it, and there can be meaning found in it every time. The next thing I want you to know is this. While this psalmist declares, essentially, that he is forsaken by God, he's not, and we're never forsaken by God. I mean, after all, that's, that's what he says here. In the middle, he says, you know, snidely, as a joke, what are you doing? Do you work all these wonders just for dead people? I mean, why'd you bring us out of Egypt? Why'd you give us this nation? Why Jericho? Why David? Why all these wonders? Did you just do it so that we could die? He says to God, snidely, uh, do, de- do departed spirits rise up and praise you? He says, why have you led us to this point so that we could die? Do the dead rise up to praise you? 
Little does he know. But this is what he says. And then he ends, knowing that God has been a friend to him all of his life, saying, you have distanced loved ones and neighbors from me. Darkness is my only friend. Is it? Has he been forsaken by God? Not with a close reading of this. Because first of all, he begins it by addressing God this way, Lord God of my salvation, I cry out to you day or night. Though he's grieved and can't see beyond the present darkness in his life, he has not stopped crying out to this God who he knows is the God of his salvation all of his life. Verse 13, But I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayers meet you. You not see this declaration where he says, I know you are hearing my prayers. I feel like darkness is my only friend. I feel despised and rejected. Like you just saved me and did wonders in my life only to send me to the grave. And yet here he says, even while he hurts and he can find no place of rejoicing inside of him, he calls for help to the Lord morning and night. And I know that my prayers meet you. While he has lost all sorts of things, perhaps everything, he has not lost his faith in this God of his salvation and his continued prayers, even through this time, show that he was not forsaken by God. Though we may feel forsaken sometimes, we are never forsaken by God. Though we may feel forgotten by God sometimes, we are never forgotten by God. Though we may feel like God is far, far away from us. God is never far from us. Though we feel alone, we're never alone. This is the witness of all of Scripture. Take survey of the people who came before us who felt this way and had times in their life where they were devastated. Look to Job. Look to Elijah. Look to Moses. Look to David. Look to Solomon. Look to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look to Daniel. Look especially to Esther. This is what the book of Esther is about. The book of Esther has only one purpose, and it is to answer this question. Has God abandoned and forsaken Israel completely or not? Because Esther is a slave in a foreign nation as God has sent off his people Israel into slavery because of their sins. Their lives every day are terrible. Esther is made to be a queen, but this isn't a great thing. She still lives as a slave. Her purpose is not as one queen, but as one of the consorts of the king. Her purpose is essentially to be there and ready anytime the king wants to come to her for what reasons he wants to come to her. And other than that, she is not allowed to go into the king's presence. She eats okay. She's dressed well. But her life is not all sunshine and rainbows. And there's this enemy, this time Haman, not Heman, who wants to kill Israel and destroy all of them and hatches this plan in which all Israel is going to be killed and destroyed. And there's only one person who can do anything about it. And there's little hope that the king will listen to her, but it's Esther. And if she'll go before the king, though it might mean death, perhaps he'll hear her. And her uncle Mordecai has this faith. Though we are living outside of our country, though we are far away, 
Though God has put his punishment on us, yet he says to Esther, this is the time that God has raised you up for. And if you won't go, he will still save his people. Mordecai knows this God will save his people. And sure enough, Esther goes before the king And the king has mercy, and it is demonstrated in this passage that it is absolutely God who turns everything around on the enemies of Israel, on Haman, where he is killed by the only devices that he orchestrated to try and kill God's people. The book of Esther, the Feast of Purim that comes from this, is a reminder that God has never forsaken any of his people, Israel or you. We are never forsaken forsaken. Sometimes we feel alone, though. You know, I I love getting to be a part of this congregation because I love having so many fellow good theologians. See, we're all theologians, and I love getting such good words from the Lord from so many of you who hear from God reading scripture and say, I got something I got to tell you about. You know, I I read this, I understand it now, and I want you to hear it too, and I, I love getting to hear it. One of my One of my good friends from our congregation, one of our good friends, one of my favorite friends and theologians, uh, Rodney Pickwell, shared with me one time. And he said, you know how scripture says that we live by faith and not by sight? Well, that's true, but also you need to know we live by faith and not by feel, is what Rodney told me. And he's right. Dear congregation, we live by faith and not by sight, but the corollary is we live by faith and not by feel. You may feel alone, but what do you believe? You may feel like God has given you over to darkness, but what do you believe is true about him? If God has said he will never leave us nor forsake us and you feel forsaken, which one are you going to live by, your faith or how you feel? There will be times when we feel that there's nothing but darkness and difficulty and we're done. But I'm here to ask you, congregation, what do you believe? And are you going to live by what Christ has said? Or are you going to live by how you feel and let your feelings about this moment and this difficulty control your life? We feel forsaken sometimes. We are never forsaken by God. You can feel like God is far away from you, but what do you believe today? He is never far away from us. The last thing I want to address in this passage is this good news. The dead in Christ will rise. The author of this psalm says, Do the dead rise up and praise you? (laughs) Yes, that's our hope. Do the dead rise up and praise him? Yes. We talk about being forsaken, and we're not but Christ was forsaken. We talk about darkness, but Christ was really handed over. We talk about difficulties, but he's the one who wore our sins for us, who the wrath of God was really poured out upon. It was Christ and not us. Christ who was given over to death, given over to Sheol, to Abaddon. He was the one who died, and yet he rose again. Christ is alive And so our hope is fulfilled. Christ is alive, and he has said to us, behold, or let's just put it in colloquial terms. Christ has said to us, hey, look, I'm alive, 
and I hold the keys to death. So I'm going to open it for everyone who believes and puts their trust in me. He was forsaken and we are not. And what he has said is that the dead in Christ will rise. Although this difficulty in your life may endure until death, death will give way to life for every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus and believe. You know, chronic pain is debilitating. Have you experienced chronic pain in your life? I've prayed with and am currently praying with so many of our members and friends and people we know who are just living in chronic pain of one kind or another, phantom ghostly health difficulties that are there but are hard to explain and even more difficult to be diagnosed. And it is what it is and you think you're going crazy. Chronic pain is so difficult but again, a lesson I learned from Tim Keller, who learned from one of his congregation members. He, he had a woman in his congregation who lived with chronic pain for decades. And periodically, he would call her and check in on her and say, hey, how are you doing? And her response to him was, nothing that the resurrection can't fix. How you doing? Nothing that the resurrection isn't going to solve. Listen, we live in some present darkness, but not forever. So what are we supposed to do today, given this truth? First, pray. Cry out to God. That's what the psalm says to you to do. What are you supposed to do? Some of you, things aren't so bad today. You know what? It's getting sunny and it's going to be nice and the rain's done and we might be warm enough to actually get out and walk around a little bit today. But for all of us, there are times of just difficulty and suffering. And what are you going to do? Exactly what this psalmist does. Pray Trusting God, even if you don't have good words to say, cry out to God. What are you going to do today? Ugly cry to him. You know, there's pretty crying that you see in movies sometimes. And then there's ugly crying, which is what you and I do. Just blubbering. The ugly crying where we're just groaning and making noises and they're not pleasant to hear. You know what ugly crying is, right? Sometimes when my kids are just sprawled out crying, there's the groans, there's the ah, and then when you've been crying long enough, you do this thing where you go, and <laughs> just that ugly, gross crying. But we cry out to him and hope. There's a passage where Paul talks about praying to God when you don't know what you're supposed to be praying or how to pray it. And he says there's these times where you cry out to God and you don't know what the words are that you're going to cry out to God. And so you, but you know what? At that time, the Holy Spirit is with you and the Holy Spirit cries out and groans that words can't understand. And I don't, I don't know if I understand that passage completely, but I do know that it, it's related to these times when I've been crying out to God and the crying out to God has just turned into crying and groaning. But the Holy Spirit is with us and praying for us and through us and knows us. What are you going to do? Cry out to him, even if you don't have the right words for it, even if all the words you have are the same words as Psalm 88. But cry out to him because this is our faith that he hears us. And then in due time, he will answer us. So what are you going to do today? Cry out to God and endure in your faith. You know, for some people, God bless them. 
Christian faith just looks like victory after victory. But for some of us, the Christian faith looks like endurance until the end. That's what it is. It's not God's going to give me victory and victory and victory and victory, but Christ has won the victory for us over death and our sins are forgiven. But sometimes the Christian life for us will look like simply I hung on believing and obeying and trusting him to the very end. I held on because scripture says that the one who endures to the end will be saved. Cry out to him. Endure in your faith. And this, number three, allow trials and tribulations to prove your faith. Allow trials and tribulations to prove your faith. Do you believe in Christ? There are plenty of people who will say, yeah, I believed in Christ until it got difficult. I believed in Christ, but then you know what? It got dark and there was suffering in my life and I kind of don't believe in God anymore. I believed in God up until... What about you? I know you believed in God when life was easy, but do you still trust him now? Allow trials and tribulations to prove your faith. And at the end of it, you will have a proven faith. Scripture says, before we bring on new deacons as a church, that they are to be tested. And it's a lot like this. There's a difference between Jesus as Lord and a proven faith. James even says, rejoice at trials and tribulations because they're going to allow you to prove your faith and to grow it. Hey, there's nothing like the growth and strengthening of our faith like this present darkness in our lives. Allow these difficulties to demonstrate, to prove your faith. In the book of Acts, as Peter and some of the other disciples are beaten for preaching Christ because they won't be silent about Christ. They're beaten and they're sent away and they go away rejoicing. That now they know they have a faith that is proven, that actually means something, that doesn't flee. Because Peter knows what it's like to have a fleeing faith. He had that fleeing faith. But now Peter has a proven faith. You know, I bet there's some guys out there in the world, some young men who enlisted in the army and who didn't make it through a couple of days of boot camp before they washed out, but who might think of themselves as a soldier or periodically say, yeah, I was, I was in the army. Were you? How about us? If you're a Christian until life gets hard and then you go back to all your old sins for comfort, are you? Do you believe? Let suffering and temptation and trial bring about in us a proven faith. It might not mean in difficult times for you that you just outright deny God immediately. It might mean in hard times for you, you just go back to your old sinful ways for comfort. You say, okay, Jesus, I believe, but you allow difficulties to steer you back to old patterns of behavior, looking for hope and help in old addictions and in sin. And I ask you, did the hard times prove your faith there? Rather, I call you today, friend, fellow believer, I have nothing but encouragement for you today. Even if you failed and you sinned in this difficulty and darkness, Christ's grace has not run out for you. And if you go to him today and say, Jesus, forgive me, 
I was like Peter who fled and denied you by my sin and actions as soon as it got difficult. But God, give me strength and make me like Peter afterwards because I'm going to turn away from my sin. And even if this darkness and difficulty, this chronic pain, this virus, this suffering, this grief goes on, I will trust you until the end. God, give me strength. Holy Spirit, empower me to trust you the whole way. Fellow believer, just like I do regularly, you do the same today. Let us dust ourselves off repent of our sins and believe. And let us cling to this faith and hope that Jesus Christ has endured already on our behalf, that he is with us and will never forsake us, that the Spirit will give us strength beyond our own strength to endure these things, and that Christ will return at just the right time. Here's what we do. Pray. Endure. Allow difficulties to create in you a proven faith. And finally, hope. What should we be doing today? Hope. I'm going to leave you with this. Here's our hope. This image, this prophecy of what's going to come that gives me so much hope and that I always look back to in difficulty. Revelation 21. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling place is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write these words, because they are faithful and true. And then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.